Hello, I'm Floss and I'm so happy to be back again with another episode of Exactly. I'm so excited about today, it combines two of my very favourite things talking about a lot of gay stuff and also getting to hear from my amazing listeners. I love my podcast so much. I love doing it. I love my job. I love getting to talk to all of you. Nothing beats actually hearing your voices. So I can't wait. If you're listening today for the first time, this is my podcast exactly where I basically give a permission slip to my guests, to my listeners, to myself to follow my curiosity. I care about a lot of things in the world and I was very frustrated with having these conversations online, which is where most of my work took place. And I found that a lot of the times the conversations were very black and white and very binary. And I feel like a lot of the issues that I want to discuss with relationships, dating, social justice issues, any everything to do with being a human being was too fucking nuanced to have online. And so I started this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Every month I dedicate a whole episode to hearing from you and answering your questions on a particular topic. Today we're talking about all things queer, all things LGBTQ+, gender, queer dating, queer sex, politics, fucking all of it. And joining me today to help me answer them is the absolutely incredible Matt Bernstein, who you might know on Instagram as at MattXIV. I'm sure you've seen his content absolutely fucking everywhere. He's the perfect guest for this call-in episode today. He's a friend of mine. We've been online friends for around four years. Matt's a content creator. He makes these incredible infographics on Instagram that are super fucking informative. He's so incredible. He's hilarious. He's very talented. He's very artistic. Matt has found a way of talking about topics that can be quite tricky to discuss, such as sexuality and violence and LGBTQ plus rights in the news. He talks about all of this stuff in such a way that you don't feel is out of reach for you to understand. I feel like these issues never really get fleshed out properly because we're taught to just kind of leave politics to the grown-ups or leave politics to people who have a fucking degree in politics. And what I love about Matt and most of the guests that I have on this show is that they make, they break it down in a way that is just so fucking easy to understand. It's bright, it's colourful, it's interesting. As well as being my friend, Matt is also just one of my favourite people to follow online. They describe themselves as a queer Jew fairy with stiletto long nails. It's literally written into Matt's Instagram bio. You should absolutely check him out on social media. Super inspiring, super hilarious. Just go check him out. I'm sure you're going to fall in love with him after listening to this episode anyway. Matt, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. How are you, babe? Florence, it's been so long. It is so, it is so good to see you in such a formal <laughs> setting. No, no, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. And, and just knowing the journey that each of us has taken over the past like four years that we've known each other. Um, it's just crazy. And, know, I'm, and I'm so I'm proud of you and I'm happy to be talking to you. Oh, babe, I'm so proud of you as well. I'm going to ask you my quick fire questions. Sure. So just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Gymnastics. Okay, <laughs> gorgeous. Next question. What was the last photo you took? The last photo I took, I think, was of my Halloween costume. 
which was Britney Spears. Oh, I was Britney Spears, like with the snake. The whole costume is like essentially like a piece of ribbon. I don't know. I was I was very nervous about that, but my mom liked it. She thought it was funny. Okay, next question. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? Honestly, a lot of things. When you put a portion of your life and make it public, I think people try to fill in the gaps, right? And they do so very, very confidently. Um, and yeah. and I would say actually like the majority of things that people, that I've seen people write about me are very disconnected from reality. You know, I'm grateful to let people in and I'm grateful to community build, but you know, people who don't like you will take your vulnerability online and, and use it to make wild assumptions about you that are just very far from the truth. So the other thing is that I don't do anything because of my nails. Like I'm not capable of doing any physical work or or anything, which is also very much not true. Also that I don't wipe my ass. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that's one of the massive assumptions that people make about you. All your content through all of the years has just, even though it's evolved, there is this one like consistent theme and that's that people want to know how you how or if you wipe your ass how I wipe my ass I just you know what now I just tell people that I don't go to the bathroom (laughs) okay gorgeous okay last quick fire question finish this sentence I'm still a work in progress when it comes to self-assurance knowing that I am good enough smart enough funny enough pretty enough without seeking that validation from other people We're going to be answering some tricky questions, some really personal stuff from my listeners. And I'm just going to go straight into it with the first question. Okay, so this is a text message from someone who wants to remain anonymous. They've asked us, I feel entirely comfortable in my queerness when I'm on my own and I wouldn't change a thing about myself. However, when it comes to being open to others, I just don't feel comfortable and I start to question my identity because I feel that I don't have the right term to just encapsulate me. Do you have any tips on this and identifying yourself? Thank you so much. I love the podcast. Matt, when did you start calling yourself queer? Because queer, we're both queer, but we're both very different types of queer people and also in how we identify with our sexuality. And I I often feel that the word queer is such a good word for me because it's so expansive and it encapsulates a very changing sexuality and also gender identity for me with like my feelings about it all. But they it, it can mean so many different things to other people. So when did you first start calling yourself queer? I think if we can talk about the word queer, it might help the person. Totally. I mean, I use gay and queer for myself, like almost synonymously as describing your, <laughs> your sexuality, but also, or your gender identity, but also describing the way in which you are unique and different and positioned against the mainstream versions of, you know, what it, what you've been told is a man or a woman or masculine or feminine, you know, sexuality is one thing I know who I'm attracted to, but as far as like my gender and my general identity in a more holistic way, like I've questioned that for a long time. And I lean on the word queer as kind of just saying, you know, this is a very broad term. This can describe a lot Mm -hmm. of things. It's going to describe me not in the most specific way, but I know who I am. And that's what's important to me. Personally, I don't feel the need nor the desire to find uh, specific terms and labels that like 
really accurately express every detail and nuance of who I am. So I just stick with queer and Mm -hmm. people can interpret that however they want to. Yeah, exactly. There are so many different words that people can use to describe themselves. And I feel like the thing with labels, though, is that they are for other people. So you know how you feel. And even then, you might not know exactly how you feel. So when we give a label, it's so that other people know what box to put us in or where we stand on the spectrum of queer. Um, When I first came out, I was like flip-flopping between the labels of bisexual and pansexual. Mm. And I felt that bisexual suited me a lot more. And then I hated calling myself bisexual because people on the internet were telling me that it was transphobic. Um, and I've, I'm not transphobic and I would date trans people. And it was it was like, okay, so I can't use that word, but I am attracted to gender and I'm attracted to people's genders for different reasons. And then it was a very online problem that people had very with the word online. bisexual. Very and then and then when you get into like gay bars and clubs, people just actually just don't care and they just care if you want to fuck them and if you want to exactly. date them. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so labels, call yourself what you want. It's for other people. As long as you know how you feel, whatever you tell other people you are is just for them. And it's good if you know how you feel inside of your body and it doesn't matter if other people don't. Okay, so now we have our first voice note from Noor from Belgium. Hi, Floss and Matt. I've been on a few dates with women that I've met on dating apps, but they didn't lead anywhere. And there aren't that many queer women on apps where I live. And most of the ones that I've talked to are not really interested in women who have a little experience or who are bi or who recently came out. And there's a big queer party scene, but I'm not really into partying anymore. So I don't really know how to meet queer women. Uh, If you have any advice, I mean, I've been using Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, and her. Also, some women have been like very straightforward, like almost like creepy men, (laughs) which is like, I don't know. That's not really why I would like to date women. So I'm very confused and I don't really know what to do. So if you have any advice, I'd be very happy to take it. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you so much for the voice note. Dating women and using dating apps. It's, I was just thinking yesterday, there's no niche places for queer people. There's no niche places for women. And I think that just being surrounded by other queer women also doesn't mean that you have anything in common with them apart from the fact that you're queer. Mm. And I, I'm so with you on the whole, you know, if you don't want to go out partying or you don't want to go to raves or maybe you don't take drugs, or you don't even like drinking, whatever it is, there are very few places, if actually none that I can name at all, that exist where you can meet and be in community with other queer women. And I completely understand the frustration with dating apps as well. It is hard out here. So my tip also would be to, first of all, make moves. If you're ever afraid of rejection when it comes to meeting other queer women or going to gay bars, the worst thing that's going to happen is someone's going to say, sorry, I'm not interested. Um, sorry, I'm not queer. That's definitely happened to me a few times. Um, but some, I feel like so rarely in the queer women dating scene do women actually approach other women. And sometimes that's just the most fucking attractive thing on earth is being courted, is being approached. Also slide into people's DMs. Have absolutely no problems sliding into a girl's DMs. Um, I've done it before. It's worked for me. Instagram, the other the other dating. Instagram (laughs) is such a tool, though. I heard this recently. Like people will use their close friends' Instagram story as like a 
like they'll just add people that they see as like potential partners or hookups or dates or whatever. Oh, wow. And if they're, if they're traveling to like someone's city or like, or if they just like have a hot picture and they look good that they want to like post their close friends. I've heard this is especially, especially <laughs> uh, functional for straight women. Like they, you could just like, they, you could just like post a hot picture yeah. on your close friends and add a bunch of men and they'll be like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think like also, also to try to not have a problem being the pursuer. Totally. And and being the person that comments on a pretty girl's picture or likes her pictures or replies to her stories or whatever. Um, make yourself known, babes. Make yourself known. I've matched with yes, the same person but- on five different apps and still not met them. Like it's like <laughs> this is this is life. It's not a problem unique to you. If it's any consolation. And then like no conversation also, like no one talks to each other. It's just matching on all the Right, apps. And then you see them like at a club or out or something. And it's like, yeah. Hey, Billy. And it's like, that's what you're waiting for. Right. It's like, oh, we matched. That literally happened <laughs> to me with this guy recently where we had matched on every imaginable app. And then I was at a club for my friend's birthday party. <laughs> and I was like, hi, we've matched on every app. And then you know it's on. Oh yeah, and then we went home together. <laughs> yeah, then 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 you know you know it's on. Yeah, like that that that's the benefit of it. It's like you're kind of okay. They live close to me. I'll probably bump into them, and then I can use the fact that we've matched on a dating app to just like start that thing up. Right, but honestly, I feel like I know this is going to sound so old fashioned, but like, well, I don't use dating apps much anymore. Like I have Grinder, and I've gotten so much better at going up to people in person. Um, like if I'm at mm. like a gay bar or something. Just starting conversation, you know, get one or two drinks in you. And then it's like, ooh, hey, you know, what's going on? You like, you know. Yeah, it's a bit more vibey. Like you can, you can pick up people's energy and you can t- you can feel in your gut and in your body. Um, not always, but their intentions. And I feel like you, you can tell where someone's uh, a bit more genuine in real life because you have the actions to match the words. Totally. Okay, so we have our next question and it's from our caller, Georgie. Hey, Georgie, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm amazing. I'm so excited to talk to you today. What would you like to ask us? Um, I really wanted to touch on being non-binary. I've just come out as non-binary and I tried coming out to my uh, one of my family members. And I wanted to know what happens when you're either accidentally or deliberately misgendered and how to stick to who you are and still inform them, but have a bit of confidence in yourself and your identity. Mm. I can't speak on behalf of speaking up on my identity as being non-binary, but in terms of advocating for my sexuality in rooms yes. where, where people don't understand it, I've always had to do a lot of self-talk inside my head. So I've never, I was never comfortable telling people I was bisexual until I felt fully confident with that label. It's almost like, you know, when you have a really, uh, a really amazing idea, but you're quite in a vulnerable place about it and you've not shared it with anyone yet, whether it's a business idea or a piece of artwork and you don't want other people to plot this self-doubt into your head because it's so precious and vulnerable to you. And it's almost like this little baby you want, to look, you want to look after it. That's how I felt about being bisexual. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a way that you could find something in you, like an anchor for when you tell people, Georgie, that I'm non-binary. These are the pronouns I prefer. That you have this anchor inside of you that helps remind you, no matter what the reaction, whether the person doesn't understand pronouns or whether the person doesn't want to use your pronouns because they've known you as uh, she, her for so long, whatever it is. You have an anchor inside of you that grounds you that you can go back to to remind yourself of how you feel and how Georgie feels inside their body. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> Matt, Matt, do you have anything to add to I this? would just add, yeah, you're so well-spoken. I would just add that, you know, to even have reached the point where you came out to yourself as non-binary, much less came out to other people, that takes so much introspection and such a strong sense of knowing who you are. Keep that in mind, you know, when other people might make you feel unsure or like they're not seeing you for you or they're not addressing that through pronouns or whatever, just know first and foremost that you know who you are. No one can take that away from you. You know, how old are you? I'm 19. All right, so you're, you know, you're really young. There's a, there's a huge, huge community of people who are, you know, ready to accept you, who already do accept you. Um, and they'll only become, you know, more and more plentiful in your life. So it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie, Georgie, how did you feel when you um, came out to people? How, how did it make you, did it make you feel good in your identity? It was freeing for some people. And then yeah. when this one person in my family didn't accept it, but didn't, it was more the fact they didn't communicate with me on that point and didn't tell me why they didn't understand it. They were just quite defensive, but without being defensive. It was it was a very complex situation. But yeah. to the people that I care about most, I'm very lucky in the fact that they accept me for who I am. No, that that's wonderful. It makes it makes me so happy to hear that you have some people in your life who can yeah. see you and reflect you back to you through their eyes. There's nothing more validating than being around people who make us feel like we can be ourselves. I also feel like it's worth mentioning that, you know, of course there are some people who are just truly, who are bigoted, who have no desire to learn, who are actively against learning, who, you know, who are homophobic or transphobic or whatever. Um, I think though the majority of people lie in this gray area in reality where they they just don't know. And because they've never had someone in their family who's queer or non-binary or trans, they haven't found a reason to, to educate themselves and to learn. And, so true. and are perhaps more open to it than we realize, but are very insecure about the fact that they don't know. And so like, I've encountered this in my own family and with people I love in my life where they aren't bad people. They don't want to make me feel bad. They don't want to not accept me, but they don't know how. And their lack of education and their insecurity around that comes out as, you know, well, I just don't get it. And why do you have to bring this all to my doorstep and whatever, whatever, whatever. And it makes you feel like you're not being accepted when in reality they're on the road to getting there. Um, and I know being patient for that sucks when you are younger than them and when you've done all that work yourself already. But I think a lot more people are on the road to acceptance than sometimes we realize. Um, and they just say the wrong thing out of insecurity. So I know it sucks, but also don't lose hope that the people in your life who don't understand you now will not understand you forever. Thank you for that. That means a lot. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. 
I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Okay, on to the next question. This is a text from Carolyn in Germany. How do you do activism and speak out for queer rights without burning yourself out? And how do you deal with homophobic and ignorant family members that you end up having the same discussions with over and over again? Thank you so much for making this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I've burnt out probably six different times, but <laughs> but we'll talk about that. I, I want to say first, I give this disclaimer. I feel mm. like every time I speak to anyone, but I don't consider myself an activist I'm a person who puts my opinions and jokes about politics, et cetera, on the internet. But, you know, regardless of where you are in the the scale of activism to just casual participant of, of the political conversation, yeah, it's exhausting to be passionate about something and always have to wake up every morning and like explain that passion and fight against people who feel the opposite and whatever. Like mm. politics is fucking exhausting. Having who you are and the people that you love invalidated every day for like political dunking is exhausting. I actually don't think mm. there's a way around burnout. Can I ask you a question then? If you don't think there's any yeah. way of avoiding burnout, yeah. do you have any pockets of joy or rest that you can dip into or is that yeah. something you're working on? Yeah, no, so that so that's what that's what I was going to say. I mean, there's going to be highs and lows. I don't think I don't think being part mm-hmm. of the conversation is something that you can do 7 days a week, 24 hours a day. It's not. And that's what I mean by burnout is inevitable is there are going to be days you wake up and you're just mm-hmm. like I just can't fucking turn on the news today. And that's fine. That's fine. That doesn't make you less of a participant. It doesn't make you uneducated. Um, it means that you're protecting protecting your mental health. And I think that is vital to participating in the conversation to begin with. I think it's so important to to take time and to have things that you can do to completely remove yourself, um, whether that's knitting <laughs> or taking a walk or like whatever it is, like finding interests that have nothing to do with the political Um, So like I said earlier, like that's gymnastics for me, which I started about a year and a half ago, um, which has become like my refuge from 
from the craziness yeah. of, of the news and the politic and everything and the conversation, right? I never thought I'd say this as a kid, but like athletics, I credit with a lot of like mm-hmm. saving my mental health from like total yeah. destruction and burnout. I definitely gave myself so much to discussing social justice, being involved in social justice to the point where it was going against it, it was like it was like I, I had nothing left in me absolutely nothing left in me and then I have definitely taken a step back from being so reactive online to the news cycle and to sharing my opinions on politics and taking it onto my podcast instead because this is a space where I feel so protected. For me, this podcast has been my space to talk about the things I care about, to have guests come on and talk about anti-racism, all of this kind of stuff. Whatever issue it is that people want to talk about and discuss with me on this podcast, this has been my space. And so I want to remind you that even if people can't see the activism or even if people can't see that you're doing the that having the important tough conversations or whatever as long as you're having them and you're doing them that's what's important the thing that i needed to know is that you're allowed to be joyful activism is working towards joy you cannot possibly uh, lead a movement you cannot possibly contribute towards a conversation if you are not first of all like very well informed about the subject yourself and if you are not coming from a place of feeling full and confident within yourself i think know know your limits <laughs> and know that you you deserve a fucking day off. Every single drop counts. And the, the the slower and steadier those drops are, the better and more effective it's going to be anyway. Okay, here we have a voice note from Nelly. Hi, Matt and Floss. Um, how do you feel about how sexually driven LGBTQ plus activism is? Obviously, safe sex has been such a key necessity because of our history. But do you um, think room will be able to be made for asexual and aromantic education to become mainstream? And do you think the way our activism is so focused on sex either plays into or is a result of the cishet obsession with our genitalia and sex lives? Love you guys. Bye. Interesting. I've never thought of LGBTQ plus activism as sexually driven. I've always thought that queer people were sexualized by cishet people because that's it's their way of making it dirty and something that shouldn't be seen in public. Like I feel like that's always been the argument mm. is that I, I I just don't want to know that it's going on. And it's like, but but you'll see a heterosexual couple walking around in couple in public holding hands and you're not thinking about them fucking, but as soon as you see two women or two men, it's it's the automatic assumption. Totally. I'm not I'm not too sure on this one. I definitely agree though that there needs to be more room for asexual, the asexual community. And I do understand the point about you know, because it's we're talking about sexual orientation. Perhaps the reason why it's 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 about sex and sexuality and romance is because that is precisely the thing we're fighting for, is to just love the people we love. And within that, a lot of the time, sex is involved in romantic relationships. But I've never thought about that before. When it comes to including um, asexuality and and things of that nature in the conversation. I think it's not about like changing 
the conversation so yes, much as like adding yeah. a lane when when it comes to the conversation around queer people and queer people getting accepted in society and being visible and being in movies or drag queen story hour or whatever the fuck i think there's a lot of different lanes to this that on paper might seem contradictory but it's just because there are are just so many ways that we've been left out and that we've been misconstrued. And so for an example, um, like you said, I think a lot of times very basic, the basic act of existing as a queer person is over-sexualized by people on the right because they want to say, you know, drag queen story hour, which is just a person dressed up in a certain kind of like over the top, fun, colorful, sparkly hair and makeup and, and dress you know, people will say drag queen story hour is sexualizing children. Or people will say that having two princes mm-hmm. kiss in an animated like Pixar movie or something is is too sexual for children. When obviously those things aren't sexual and we should have these very tepid and child-friendly um, references of the community available to children, right? Like that's a super important introduction for children to have that like queer people exist your gender can be a million different things. You know, it's, that's really important at the same, I believe in that at the same time, I also believe in queer inclusive sex education, Mm. which exists basically nowhere. Um, I think that, you know, like I learned about gay sex online through porn and through reading up, like I would read articles about like anal sex that were written on cosmopolitan for women who were like (laughs) how to spice things up try anal with your boyfriend you know what I mean and like that's like that was what was available because I didn't learn it in school I didn't know how to be safe I didn't know how to enjoy it Mm. I didn't know that you needed lube all this stuff um and so one might look at those things and be like how can you say you're not trying to sexualize children when you're literally advocating for sexual education and I'm like well these are just different Mm. parts of the conversation they don't contradict each other. They're just parallel lanes that are required for like integrating us into society in a more inclusive way from, you know, very kids who are very young to adolescence to adulthood. And so I think asexuality and asexual topics are just another lane that we have to be conscious of, of adding. Um, so, yeah, so I think there are definitely parts of the conversation around queerness that are very sexual, but for good reason. Of course. I love that analogy that you used, Matt, about the having the different parallel lanes. It's not about like, how do we change it? It's about how do we add it on and make it something that's spoken about more. Um, totally. I think that's so important. I think the person also asked about, um, you know, is it because of the HIV crisis or why do people always talk about genitals and stuff? I don't have an answer for why people always talk about genitals, especially with... Uh, gay girl sex like people always asking like how does that work how do you have sex it's almost this intrusiveness that you know there are some queer people who will talk about sex openly and publicly and it will be their identity and good for fucking them but actually a lot of queer people don't bring up the sexual stuff with straight people it's brought to queer people it's 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 interrogated um i i I was Mm. never asked when i was dating men like how do you have sex with men but it's always this curiosity that straight people have about your genitals and about your body and they don't know how it works and it's it's so intimate and so invasive a lot of sometimes well-meaning sometimes not um cisgender heterosexual people also think that your existing in public space as a queer person means that they're entitled yeah. to ask you questions that you would never ask someone who wasn't queer 
Um, and, and my mind immediately goes to my friend Skylar, Skylar Baylor, who's um, Pink Manta Ray on social media. He is a trans guy who is a swimmer who swam at Harvard, you know, so because he's a swimmer, is always wearing a Speedo, you know, because he swims. And the amount of questions that he's gotten about like, mm. well, what's in his Speedo if he's a trans man, you know? Or like, what about his dick? Or what about his his genitalia in general? And he's like, you would never go up to a cisgender male swimmer and be mm. like, and ask him about his penis. It's just, it's just completely, it's a ridiculous thought, but like the idea of existing publicly as a queer person to a lot of people, I think means that you are like, yeah, just fair game to be interviewed about your anatomy in a way that's totally inappropriate and totally backwards. Um, and I think that particular issue is like, you know, we just have to keep reminding people no, that you're, no. you're not entitled to know anything about someone's anatomy or their sex life. And those those questions are totally inappropriate. So Some straight people have this audacious curiosity. So it's like, I, I'm all about being curious. Like my entire podcast is focused on being curious and asking questions about things that you want to know information about. But there's this audacious curiosity that straight people have with queer people, where it's it come, this curiosity that comes with entitlement to know things that, like you said, you would never fucking ask a straight person how they fuck their boyfriend. You would never ask a straight person uh, about their genitals or what it means to be have sex with their partner when you've just fucking met them and queer women are asked that all the time totally. I'm sure gay men maybe are also asked that too I don't know but um it's yes. it's, it's yeah I mean, like are you a top or bottom yes! I'm like excuse me Yes, 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 yes. So people have to find a way to still make being queer a binary heterosexual thing that they can understand. I feel like totally. maybe that's where I mean, like, who's, who's the man and who's the who's, woman? Who wears the pants? I'm like neither of us. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And it's like the curiosity comes with an audaciousness. So I think that's where it like it needs to be nipped in the bud. Okay, and now we have a voice note from Sheena from Ireland. Hi guys, my name is Sheena and I'm 21 years old and I'm from Wicklow in Ireland. And my question is, I'm bisexual and I find it kind of hard to embrace my attraction for women without being intimidated by them sometimes. Um, I kind of feel like the male gaze bleeds into my little bisexual bubble. And if I find a woman attractive, there's a kind of a tendency for me to be a bit envious of her too because she might be considered more attractive to men. It's just a big bisexual mess, really, which is the best. Um, yeah, any tips for navigating this? Um, and thank you for everything that you do. You've completely inspired me to go on like a solo trip to London and just like have the crack by myself. Thank you so much. Oh my God, Sheena. Well, this is this is your question. This is, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for sending that in. First of all, totally relate. I'd say when I first came out, that was something that I intensely struggled and wrestled with. Women were so intimidating to me initially when I came out and not in like a way that I was scared of them, but it was like, oh my God, now I can't just even lean on the traditional scripts of dating where it's very easy to impress men. I have to be all of these complex, beautiful, wonderful things the same way that 
all other women are because that's what she expects of me. It was almost like when you date women, you can't hide because she expects you to be complex because she's also complex and she doesn't have many sexist ideas about how women are. Whereas when you date men, they kind of expect less than you. So the second you even say like a hint of a bit of a personality, they're just blown away. So I think I was also very <laughs> intimidated. Yeah, you order like an IPA beer and he's shitting himself so there's like you, you you show any you show anything that shows like some kind of knowledge in, in anything masculine mu like uh, male musicians that you like or anything and they're just like they're lapping it up and they can't believe they're fucking what they're experiencing but with uh women it was like women expect you to be that and i was so intimidated by women when i first started dating women to answer your question about uh being being intimidated by women and feeling a bit envious of them i think that's just something that's maybe always going to come with dating people of the same gender or same sex and that I guess it's easier to compare yourself to uh, to someone who's of the same gender or same sex. ContraPoints literally calls it proximity envy, where it's easier totally. to compare yourself to someone who is in a similar position to you, had a similar upbringing or looks similar to you, whatever. I think I saw this thing recently that like one of the main reasons there's more butch femme couples than femme femme and butch butch is because of the comparison and because it leaves less room for envy. Mm. I don't know if that's true. I just thought it was very interesting. It's a very interesting point. Yeah, I think perhaps you could try and view this as an amazing opportunity to wrestle through that envy and to kind of see yourself in the woman. And I just think the fact that you've even sent this, like, you know, you have the awareness. You have the awareness. I, th I, I think it's only bad when you're acting it out. I think it's so okay to be envious and jealous of other women. Uh, it's very natural emotion because there's also going to be that constant comparison. But I think acknowledging and looking and witnessing jealousy and to quote ContraPoints again, uh, thinking your feelings and feeling your feelings, but not endorsing them. I think it's just so natural totally. for those float. I think it's so natural for those thoughts to float into your mind um, because you're going to be dating people of the same gender. I just think it's so natural and so normal. Uh, but as long as you're not putting the other woman down and you're working on it, I think, I think you're gold. I think you're set. I think you're good. Yeah. And also so excited that you're going to be making a solo trip to London. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I have been thinking so much about, I mean, I can't speak to dating women. The only time I dated a woman was in eighth grade. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of times we feel, <clears throat> especially gay people towards other gay people that we can see ourselves in, we mm -hmm. feel envious of them, but we cover it up with like some kind of righteous hatred or mm. distaste or dislike for and to even admit to yourself that actually what you're feeling is envy for another person is so emotionally intelligent and self-aware. Yes. And it's so hard to admit that because like envy is not an attractive thing. Envy is not something that we like to advertise that we are, right? It's like, we don't, you don't want to be an envious person, but it's also an entirely human thing to feel. Mm. Um, there's, I don't think there's ever been a person who did not at one point feel envious or jealous of another person. Um, and I'm trying to do this more recently where like, for example, there, oh, I hope he's not listening. There's this guy at my gym who is like totally beautiful and like six foot four and just like the most like sculpturesque face. He's just like the way he moves everything. And so I am seeing this guy at the gym every morning and I'm like, oh, 
this asshole. I can't stand this guy. You know, I'm I'm like, wow, who does he think he is yes. walking in here being like six foot four and like he can do his splits perfectly. And after a couple of weeks, I was like, pause, hold on. Is the negativity and hatred that you're feeling towards this other gay guy justified? No. Are you feeling it? Yes. But is it justified? No. Because what you're feeling is like you're jealous of him. You're just jealous of him. Yeah. I don't even know this person. But he was bringing up all of these like negative feelings in yes, my head. I've had that. As soon as I was like, oh, I'm jealous. Like it didn't make me feel good no. to be a jealous person. But at least I was like, well, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. This has nothing to do with him and everything to do with me. Yeah. Um, I think that there would be so much less hate and animosity between people, especially between people within a certain community. Mm. If sometimes we admitted that we're all just a little bit jealous sometimes. Yes. Yes. You know, and instead of trying, instead of trying to sublimate that jealousy with like, actually, I don't like him because he's kind of like problematic. Yes, like, yes, scrap yes. all the bullshit. Sometimes you're just jealous. Oh, thank you so much to everyone who sent in the questions for the call in and to the person we spoke to. Thank you so much. It takes a lot of courage, I feel, to even talk about these things and ask for help. And I'm just so fucking honored that you all feel that Matt and I were safe people to come and talk to about some really tough topics and stuff to do with your gender, your sexuality, all of that stuff. I fucking love Matt so much. He was an absolute dream guest. He's a friend of mine. Like I said, he's helped me through a lot of things privately and I just thought he would be the perfect guest for this queer episode call in. If you don't follow him already, you can find Matt on Instagram at MattXIV. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. And remember, we want to hear from you. Every month, we'll be taking your calls, your texts, and your voice notes for our call-in episode. Please tell me what you want to hear an episode on. If you would like to ask a question or speak to me and my guest, you can get in touch on WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. And don't forget, you can join me every week for Ask Floss, where I answer all of your questions from how to deal with heartbreak to advice and solo holidays and also first date ideas. Subscribe to Extra Floss to listen right now. You can visit extrafloss.com to start your free trial and get access wherever you get your podcasts, or you can visit exactly on Apple Podcasts and hit try free at the top of the page. And I want to give a massive thank you to the formidable Black Honey who composed the original theme music. You can find them on Instagram at, at BlackHoneyUK and check out their latest album, Written and Directed. This is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. My producer is Millie Charles, assistant producer is Ella McLeod, executive producer is Carly Mayle, the production coordinator is Lily Hambly, and I also want to give a special thanks to Chris Skinner, Jonathan Imiri, Ryan O'Meara, and Teddy Riley for additional production, and a big thanks to our engineers, Josh Gibbs and Gully Lawrence Tickle, and mix engineer, Jay Beale.